1: Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on AirTalk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We'll get right to it with UCLA Professor of Nursing and Public Health, Kristen R. Choi. She's also a registered nurse practicing at Echo Park's Gateways Hospital. Professor Choi, welcome back. Good morning, Larry. So good to have you with us. Well, Los Angeles County, uh, potentially by Friday of this week, will lift its indoor mask mandate for fully vaccinated people at venues where they're able to check for vaccination status. Your thoughts about that and and, and both the symbolism and the practical nature of that?
0: Yeah, well, I think on a symbolic level, this is very exciting, I think, to many of us, uh, because we're seeing Omicron cases really dramatically coming down from what we saw uh, back in in January and in the winter. And of course, that's that's helpful. That's encouraging to all of us to see us um, reducing transmission. Um, LA County has been quite consistent that um, at the point when we get into the CDC's moderate transmission tier, uh, we are at a point where we can start to list some of the mask requirements, and we are seeing data getting us to that point. And so it's really exciting to see see some hope that transmission is being reduced and we can uh, let go of some of those masking requirements. Uh, I think it's important to note here that uh, the the county of LA and the city of LA do have some different requirements uh, and this mask lifting will be only for venues that are checking vaccination status and of course only applies to people who are vaccinated. Uh, People who are not vaccinated are still required to wear masks. Uh, but there is a a a broad range of um, different kinds of venues in the city of la that are checking vaccination status fewer in the county but but uh, we'll see this happen at uh, bars wineries movie theaters, gyms, etc. Uh, hopefully soon here.
1: All right. If you have questions for Professor Choi, we're at 866-893-KPECC. You can also email your question for her at atcomments at kpecc.org. Please include your location along with your first name. Uh, also wanted to ask you about some uh, fascinating studies that have come out. Uh, one looking at long COVID and four different uh, factors that put someone at increased risk of uh, of having the symptoms uh, of ongoing uh, long COVID. Your thoughts about this and, and what we're finally starting to learn about it.
0: You know, I'm really, uh, really relieved to see more research coming out on long COVID. This is something that Uh, has been sort of an undercurrent of the pandemic for a very long time. We've known really from the beginning that some people do have uh, symptoms of COVID that last far beyond infection, but um, we really haven't had a lot of information about who is affected, how long they're affected, and what it looks like. What we are starting to learn is that anywhere from about one-tenth to one-third of people with COVID will develop long COVID, and it seems like people that are at risk for long COVID are those that have more severe infection and a higher viral load when they are infected, uh, as well as people who might have certain chronic health conditions, uh, exposure to Epstein-Barr virus in the past. Uh, And, um, you know, I think that scientists are still working on understanding exactly why long COVID happens and what the mechanisms are that drive it. Uh, it's possible that it has to do with with inflammation, uh, with the autoimmune response. There's a number of different mechanisms that are being investigated. But again, it's very encouraging to me to start to see us be able to identify some of the risk factors and mechanisms, uh, because that that gives me hope that we can eventually start to think about treatments for it.
1: One of the factors was uh, having dia- uh, type 2 diabetes. And I was wondering, because it, my understanding is that disproportionately affects uh, Latinos' and and African-Americans, so this could be yet another one of those disproportionate burdens suffered by Southern Californians of color given that higher type 2 diabetes rate.
0: Yes, absolutely. You know, I haven't actually seen data on long COVID uh, disaggregated by race, but I have a feeling it probably exists somewhere. And I think you're absolutely right, Larry, that we might see some race disparities there, uh, just given the higher burden of chronic disease that we know exists in those communities, but also that some of those communities were hit harder by COVID back before we had vaccines available.
1: Uh, the FDA looking at whether a second booster shot uh, would would be a positive thing uh, in Israel, particularly older people uh, got second booster shots a few months after their first booster shot. Uh, and we've had some interesting studies showing uh, the high degree of effectiveness for vaccination and boosters in warding off um, severe COVID, even uh, with the uh, omicron uh, not being covered quite as fully by the mrna vaccines so your thoughts about you know when or if we should consider a second booster
0: sure I know this question of a fourth booster is one that's come up quite a lot and is something a lot of people are thinking about uh, that's especially true in the healthcare community for people that might have gotten their initial doses a bit earlier than everyone else uh, and are now looking at pretty extended periods of time past getting their first booster. So right now, the recommendations for the United States are that fourth booster doses are only recommended for people that are really severely immune compromised. Uh, There have been a number of studies that have come out of Israel that have started to suggest that there's going to be less benefits to a fourth booster dose for most other adults and people that are healthy and are not in that immune compromised state. Uh, And so right now, I I would really recommend that people continue to follow the guidance that um, a fourth booster dose is probably not needed unless you fall into that group of people that are immune compromised. And that is what data from Israel is is starting to support as well.
1: Your thoughts about the potential threat of another variant, because I I hear it framed two ways, the one of which is, uh, given the fact that we still have so many people that are not vaccinated around the world, that we are likely going to see new variants, the ability of those variants to get around the current vaccines we have are are, are probably going to be there to some degree, and that we are likely to see successive surges in COVID as a result. But but the other framing of this I see is the thought that so many people now have had COVID, and that there are uh, you know so many millions of people that have been vaccinated to this point, that it's going to have a a, a tamping down effect on the successive variants that come, and w- which do you think is more likely?
0: It's a good question. You know, to my mind, I think the answer is that it's probably a bit of both. Uh, on the one hand, I I do still worry about potential variants and potential spread, and that's mostly because even though in the United States that we're we're uh, hovering around seventy five to eighty percent of people being vaccinated with at least one dose, uh, in a lot of other countries, vaccination rates are much much lower. Some countries are as low as only five percent of the population is vaccinated. And even in the United States, we still have pockets of places where vaccination rates are much lower and uh, booster doses have really not been taken up at the levels that they, they should be, or that they we hope they would be. So those big pockets of people that are unvaccinated or under vaccinated uh, do leave potential for for a virus or a variant to get a foothold and and really spread. And so I, I do think it's a concern. Now that being said, um, if if new variants were to come onto the scene, I hope that our our vaccines would hold out and that we would still see pockets of people that are vaccinated be protected. But I think that uh, that that concern of a variant is something that could always happen. And as long as we are in this state of having, again, under-vaccination or pockets of unvaccination, uh, it's a risk that we, we have to think about and be prepared for.
1: Given that so many millions of Americans have had Omicron now, I mean, the estimate is, is what, like 74% of people have had uh, COVID-19 in, in one variant or another. Why is that not the level for herd immunity?
0: The, um, the uh, inf- uh, I'm sorry, the immunization that comes from a natural infection we know is good. It provides some protection, but generally uh, vaccination is going to provide a better sense of immunity than natural infection. And so uh, I think that we'll see some effects on a population level of the high levels of infection that we've seen, certainly that will offer some protection, uh, but it may not be as long lasting as we hope without also um, having vaccination.
1: Stephanie in Echo Park says, I'm a business owner. When can we expect to have uh, office worker mask requirements lifted? We work in an architecture office.
0: That's a good question. You know, I think that for indoor spaces uh, that that are enclosed, those are probably going to be the last ones that we see a lot of the restrictions being lifted. Um, But I I do hope that it will be soon that we'll continue to make progress on progressing down in those CDC tiers uh, and get to a place where we can start to see some of those requirements lifted.
1: Dennis in Alhambra wonders whether there's a test you can take to determine if you've ever had COVID in the past. He's thinking that for people who've been asymptomatic and unaware that they had it, it might be good to know whether they had had it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you you can take an antibody test, which will tell you if you're positive for antibodies, Uh, that's a signal that you have been exposed to COVID in the past, uh, with most, uh, you know, widely available tests, unfortunately, that will also give you a positive result if you're vaccinated. And so it's not really possible to tell with most widely available tests, if you are positive from an infection or a positive from a vaccination, if you are vaccinated, uh, if you're not vaccinated though, you can take a test. And if it's positive, that would be a signal that you've likely been exposed in the past.
1: Susan in seal beach, uh, emailed, uh, any update on indoor masking in the city of Long Beach, which is a big part of LA County? I'm especially interested in gym requirements. Uh, I haven't seen any update on on Long Beach, Susan. Generally, Long Beach has has stayed uh, pretty consistent with the LA County public health guidelines, even though it's not technically under the jurisdiction of the L.A. County Department of Public Health. Professor Choi, do you know anything about uh, what Long Beach is doing with masking?
0: You know, it's a good question. I I don't know specifically what's happening in Long Beach. I I suspect, though, Larry, um, that like the city of L.A., there might be um, some cities in L.A. County that are going to remain a bit more restrictive, But again, I I am hopeful of the progress we're making and progressing down in those transmission tiers and and hopeful that we'll see some of those lifted hopefully in the summer here.
1: Christine and Glendale emailed us, I'm immunocompromised and stuff like this scares me. I was excited to go see a movie in a week, but with this new change, I don't feel comfortable anymore because while movie theaters say they require proof of vaccination, I've never had one check or ask for my card. I'm worried people will just take this as a chance to go maskless regardless of vaccination status. And Christine, I, I think, uh, obviously you being an immunocompromised person, the stakes are higher, but I think there are even many Southern Californians who aren't immunocompromised who feel similarly as you do and that that's still a risk that, that they're going to be uh, reluctant to take. Professor Choi, You know, what do you think? For, for people who, who are not immunocompromised, uh, should they still ideally continue to mask? And, and certainly should people who are immunocompromised
0: Sure, sure. I can certainly understand the the question here and really sympathize with people who might be immune, immunocompromised and have risk factors, as well as people with, with young children who can't be vaccinated. You know, I think, Larry, that this has really been kind of the rub all along with lifting uh, restrictions and, and and mask mandates. On the one hand, it's exciting for people to feel uh, a greater sense of freedom, to, to feel like our lives are normal. But on the other hand, we know that there are vulnerable members of our community that um, we uh, we might uh, pose a risk to when when we do lift these restrictions. So um, again, can, can absolutely understand the sentiment. You know, I think for people who do feel at risk, you know, you certainly can wear a mask yourself. N95s, uh, we know, provide very good protection. Uh, and for people who have young kids, uh, I do hope that we will have a vaccine approved for them soon. Uh, but, yeah, again, completely understand the concern. And, and I think this is where uh, a, a lot of the concern about lifting mask mandates come from. Even if it it seems like it's OK for most of us, there are people who are still unprotected. Uh, and I, I do understand um, the, the desire to, to keep those members of our community safe.
1: Yeah. Uh, the uh, U.S. mask mandate for air travel expires next month. And uh, the Association of Flight Attendants, the union that represents them, uh, is uh, asking that the requirement extend past March 18th um, because of concerns that uh, medically vulnerable travelers and passengers under five would be at greater risk aboard a plane. Um your thoughts about extending that mandate to wear masks on on uh, on flights? Do you think that would be a good thing, Professor Choi?
0: Yeah, you know my my personal opinion of this is that I I would agree with with the flight attendants that um, I I worry a bit about removing mask mandates for flights, even though we know that most planes have pretty strict cleaning protocols and very good air filtration. Uh, the, the idea of being around airports and people coming from all different places in the country or the world uh, in a context where we don't know that everyone's vaccinated, there are some areas that are pretty unvaccinated, and, and again, that children can't be vaccinated, very young children, all of those things uh, make, make me feel concerned, and I would feel more comfortable with with extending the mask mandate at the very least until a vaccine is approved for, for young kids.
1: Uh, let's see. We have... Uh... Steve in La Cunata tweets at AirTalk, for many reasons, number of new COVID cases seems like an unsatisfactory and even unscientific matrix for important public policy decisions such as masking. Is it CDC's responsibility to come up with better threat uh, levels in the future using consensus composite data?
0: Sure. I I think that's a great point, Steve, and a really fair question to raise. I I think that first, as we've seen more tests come out, especially at home home antibody tests, you know, we don't even know that the case numbers reflected are actually really capturing the full full number of cases. And so I think that as we move forward into a future where COVID will likely be something endemic, uh, meaning it's something that we're going to live with going forward, uh, it's reasonable to think about other ways of determining if we're in an acute phase, uh, and when we need to have uh, public health requirements like masking in place. And that may have to do with deaths or hospitalizations, but but absolutely, I think it's a fair point that we, we can think beyond simple case counts uh, when it comes to determining risk in the future.
1: Uh, we get a lot of questions about you know, what's the breakdown of vaccinated versus unvaccinated people who are hospitalized with COVID 19. Uh, Cal Matters uh, data journalist John D'Agostino has put together a COVID hospitalization tracker, and it includes a breakdown of patients by vaccination status. The new dashboard is based on State Department of Public Health data, which shows whether patients at least. 12 years of age and older are vaccinated, unvaccinated, uh, boosted, not boosted, Um, partially vaccinated patients aren't included, but pretty much everyone else is. And CalMatters has put together this dashboard. It shows that during the surge uh, of Delta last uh, summer, August of 2021, about 85% of hospitalized patients were unvaccinated. During the Omicron surge, as of January 11th, the unvaccinated proportion of hospitalized patients dropped to 56%, while 34% of patients were vaccinated but not boosted. So um, that's interesting. So that gets us to 90% then. When you combine this is for omicron surge when you combine unvaccinated at 56% with 34% who were vaccinated but not boosted that's 90% so that means you've got about 10% that were vaccinated and boosted professor choi that that shows pretty good effectiveness for vaccines and boosters
0: yes it, i i think so i think that the big takeaway from these data even though you're absolutely right larry that we did see an increase and people who are hospitalized and vaccinated and a small number of people who are vaccinated and boosted Uh, that overall rates definitely showed that people that had the booster were by far the best off. I I also wanted to note, you know, there was a study uh, that was done in Michigan pretty recently where they actually looked at people in ICUs with COVID. And they looked at people who were in the ICU who were vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And they were really, really different groups of people. People who were uh, vaccinated and in um, the hospital or in the ICU tended to be people who were older and who had a lot of chronic conditions and risk factors. Uh, Whereas the people who were unvaccinated in in the ICU were much more likely to be young, to be healthy, and people that didn't have those same risk factors. And so I think that knowing that and taking a look also at these data definitely suggests that, uh, you know, as we've talked about a number of times, it's a high priority to get that booster if you haven't already, uh, because it does provide additional protection.
1: Thank you so much, Professor Choi. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Have a terrific rest of the week, and we'll look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at LAS.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle.